Let's open God's holy word this morning to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, our text this morning comes from verses 1 through 5. Brother Dan has already read our text for us this morning, so I'll not read it again. From the words in this text, though, I want us to focus this morning as sort of an axis or a hinge verse to all of these other verses. Romans chapter 5 and the latter part of verse 2 where the Word of God says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do we, do you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? Can you say without any question whatsoever that today I believe in Jesus Christ and I rejoice in this great hope that someday I'm going to experience the glory of God in the eternal bliss of heaven. We, we sang about that this morning, didn't we? We sang, When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. We look forward to that day. And then we sang again. Then He'll call me someday to my home far away where His glory forever I'll share. When we are in Christ, we are partakers of the very glory of God. And this truth that we right now and in the future and throughout eternity can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God is unfathomable. Hope. People cannot live without hope. To think that life now may be in my very difficult situation is never going to get any better. In fact, it may get worse. Leads us to a place of despair. Or for the person who's sick, who may be told, you're never going to get better with no hope. Or the prisoner who comes up before the parolee board hoping he's going to get parole, and they say, no, go back. Maybe in six months they come back. No, maybe in six months come back. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We can't live without hope. Can you imagine what it might be like to be lost at sea with no hope of ever seeing another human being or never seeing land? You know, that was the predicament of the Apostle Paul when later in his life he was sailing to Rome where he was to meet before Caesar. And there upon that ship 
as he was lost at sea, they were in a relentless storm. It was a nor'easter of hurricane force that assailed the ship. And after three days, the storm continued the most fiercely to the point that they threw all of the ship's tackle overboard, possibly the mast and the yard arm, to serve as a brake to slow them down in the swift, raging ocean. The Scripture says there that in Acts chapter 17, verse 20, when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days... After the three initial days, after many days, there was no seeing of the heavenly lights. And the storm continually to rage. He says, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They resolved that they were all going to die. But you know the story, the angel of the Lord came to Paul and said... You will not die. You will certainly live. No, Not a man will lose his life, but the ship will be destroyed. So that was a reason for hope. We can't live without hope. And we say, well, what if we just had the hope that God is going to meet us through all of our trials? Well, when one trial is over with, get ready, because there may be another one coming. You see? Trial after trial after trial. Sometimes that's what life is. I'm not saying there's not blessing and joy, but trial, 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 trial. That's why the Scripture says, for if we only have hope in this life, we're of all people the most miserable. To have no hope in life. Now, Paul says uh, to the Corinthians, said to the Corinthians, that the the three great things... Uh, of our faith are faith, hope, and love. I think so often times though we, we know a little bit more about faith and we know a little bit more about love, but we do not focus a lot of time upon hope. But we can know this morning that if we are in Christ, look at the latter part of verse 2 here, that if we are in Christ, that we have this great hope. And we can hope with an assurance, an absolute hope, not a wishy-washy hope, but a hope that, in fact, we will be with God someday in all of His glory, and we will experience God's glory. We will know it. So, how do we know this? Well, our great hope is based on the glorious fact that God has blessed us, according to what Ephesians says, that God has blessed blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. There are some reasons why we can rejoice with hope of the glory of God. And he says this, beginning with verse 1. We see the word therefore, so we look back and think, well, what was Paul talking about previously? Well, for almost three chapters, he talks about the glorious salvation which we have in Christ. Based upon that salvation, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith. We have this hope because we are just before God. We are righteous 
before God. Someone has said that the word justified means just as if I had never sinned. And that's true. Our sin has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. We are no longer culpable to the law's demands that Dave read about this morning, but we've been set free from the law of death because we've been declared righteous, not based on anything that we've done, not according to some desire or some vain effort to keep the law, but based upon the absolute perfection, the holiness, the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us as a gift, that righteousness of God has been imputed to us as a gift, and through that, through Christ's perfect substitutionary atonement, the Lord can look at us and say, that is my righteous child. We have been declared righteous by God. A legal term wherein He says, we are just, we are right before Him based solely upon the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His Son to be the mediator between us and God. And we can stand. Rejoice. We have this hope because we are justified before God. Look again in verse 1. Not only have we been justified by faith, but because of our relationship in Christ, we have now peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says in Philippians 4, we're not to be anxious for anything, but in everything we're to, we're to pray and ask God. And He gives us this promise that we will then experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Now, that is so true, that is a subjective peace we get from communing with the Lord, but that kind of peace is not what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. He's talking about an objective, judicial peace that we can now have if we are in Christ with God. You see, before we were in Christ, the sinner that is, there was no peace with God. There was enmity between us and God because we were in a state of sin. And in that state of sin, we had no spiritual life. We did not desire God nor the things of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says that there, there were none who were righteous. We There were none who understand. There was none who seeks after God. There was none who does good. And look at verse 17 of chapter 3. And the way of peace they have not known, neither is there any fear of God before their eyes. That's the plight of the sinner. No desire for God. We on our own have declared that we are against God as sinners with not knowing God. We are at enmity. We are estranged away from God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were banished from the presence of God. Banished from the Garden of Eden because now, not only was 
Not only is all of mankind at enmity with God, but God is an enemy with all of mankind because of the sin of mankind. And He's angry with the wicked every day. And there is a cosmic war that's going on between God, the Holy, Righteous One, and man, the puny, weak, sinful One. And there's no reconciliation. We're dead in our the sinner is dead in his trespasses and sins. He walks according to the prince and power of the air, and that we, the sinner, without God, are by very our very nature children of wrath. Without God and without hope in the world, and no peace before God. That's the state that you're in this morning. If you're without Christ. But when we are in Christ, there is peace. The enmity has been removed. And God then becomes reconciled to us, and we are reconciled to Him. The war is over because of the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came to offer peace. The, the son of peace. Because he laid down his life in his per, precious and perfect substitutionary atonement. And it's applied to us. God's wrath is removed. You see, we don't deserve that. But based upon not what I've done, but because of the peace the Son of Peace who lays down His life, He brought about this reconciliation to us. Look in Romans chapter 3. Again, look up to verse 19. The plight of the sinner. Every mouth must be stopped and the whole world become guilty before God. An enemy of God. But therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified for the law, but for by the law is the righteousness of sin. But now, look at that. Now, Romans, the book of Romans, is the glorious uh, magnum opus of the Christian faith. But in verse 21, you could say in following, we have the pinnacle of the magnum opus. And here we have it in verse 21. The greatest conjunction that's ever been written down. But, but now, here it is, the righteousness of God that's in Christ has been revealed apart from the law in accordance with the uh, witness by the law and by the prophets. And now, this righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. That, that's us who come to Christ. We have believed. We have now received peace with God and the war is over because of what Christ has done for us. And the Scripture says here in verse 25 that Christ is a propitiation for our sins. He was the well-pleasing sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could appease the wrath of God and make peace for us. So God looks at us and He says now, the war's over. And I am at peace with you, my children. 
because of what Christ has done. Now, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. You know, oftentimes a nation or two or more will be at war with with one another. And they will come to some type of peace terms, right? They will come to some... Uh, treaty of an armistice whereby they say we're going to stop fighting we've entered into a time of peace how well does that usually go among men remember the great war the war that was going to end all wars World War One. there was an armistice for that war the fighting was stopped But it wasn't long before, again, those nations were at war again. The peace was to no avail. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be sure that if we are in Christ, then we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ so that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then in verse 2, the blessings do not end. The reasons why we have this hope do not end because he says there in verse 2 that it's through, through whom, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access into the very grace of God. You remember when Christ died upon the cross? Right after He said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The wall of partition that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two. It was rent from top to bottom. Opening up the most holy way to us. Well, when the Lord Jesus Christ actually died... In that most heavenly holy place, God was pleased. And He opened up the way to us, the way to God, the way to the most holy place. And how did He do this? Again, He did it according to the perfect merit of the Lord Jesus Christ. His holy, righteous, perfect substitution. And when that Righteousness is applied to us. We're justified before God. We're made righteous, declared righteous by God. We're now at peace with God. And now we have access to God into this most holy place based upon the perfect atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are there. We have access into this holy place by what? Not according to what we've done, but we go there because of grace, because of the kindness of God, because of the goodness of God. He allows us to enter into the most holy place and find fellowship with Him. And there we receive grace upon grace. And we stand firm in this grace. We have this grace, but He also says there, it is in this grace that we stand. Stand strong. Because our faith is not based upon anything that we have done or anything we're going to do. But our faith 
is based upon the perfection of Christ and it is upon that solid rock, rock of Christ that we stand. As the old hymn says, all other ground is sinking sand. Anything that we do is sinking sand. So you see, brothers, it is because of what He has done for us. Our justification, our peace with God, our access to the Father by the grace of God. We stand, and because of these glorious truths, what? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in that. Now, let's look at that, our access verse again there in verse 2. The word rejoice there can be translated numerous different ways. I think it's the authorized standard version that says that we glory. We glory in the hope of receiving or becoming partakers with the glory of God. It can be translated that way. We glory in the hope of the glory of God. Our text here in the New King James uses the word rejoice, which is a good translation too. That we rejoice, it makes us happy. You know, joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And if we're in Christ, we have this joy based upon this great hope that we are going to be final partakers of the glory of God. But I think probably the best way uh, to translate this verse is that we boast We boast about it. We brag about it. We make much of the fact that because of what Christ has done, we boast about this and we boast so greatly that we know that we have this hope of the glory of God because we are boasting, not in ourselves, but we're boasting about how glorious is our salvation. God forbid, Paul said, that I should glory in anything save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we boast in the Lord because of what He has done. In much of our prayer studies in the first hour, we've been talking about how that uh, when many of the saints get in trouble, we find something that's very common in all their prayers. They begin to praise God. They begin to worship God in the midst of trouble. Well, our very text here says that we too can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he says, not only that, not only that, but we can rejoice, we can glory also when we experience various tribulations. So you see, we get a new perspective, a new spectrum on life. Because of who we are in Christ, we're right before Him, we've been justified, we have peace with God, we stand in this grace, and we have access to the very throne of God. Wow, folks! That's who we are! That gives us a little better perspective on things, doesn't it? (laughs) So, So, what's the big deal? about these trials and tribulations that we're going through. Jesus said to His disciples, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. 
And we who are in Christ are more than overcomers through Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. So yes, He says, even in times of tribulation, because He says here in our text, first of all, in verse 3, that tribulation brings forth perseverance or endurance. Makes us strong. You know, we think of endurance, we think of, of strength like this, we think of the athlete who trains, maybe to train to, to be a long distance runner, to train in order to be a, a strong weightlifter or whatever. But we too are always in training, aren't we? We're in training to study the Word of God, to walk according to the Word of God, to train ourselves to be godly, as Paul told Timothy. We're in a we're in training camp. You know, that's what we're that's what we're doing here. That's what we're here. This is a testing ground. To become a Christian, we're only here for a few years. Our faith is tried and it's tested. Another imagery of the New Testament is not an athlete, but a soldier. Paul told Timothy to endure good, to endure hardships as a good soldier. So therefore we should expect it. Expect it. Remember when the Lord saved Saul who became the Apostle Paul? The Lord spoke to Ananias and said, Hey, Ananias, guess who's coming to dinner? Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> but he's my chosen instrument. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Don't be afraid when He comes to you. For I will show Him what great things He must suffer for my namesake. So, tribulation is inevitable. The warfare is inevitable. But in the midst of that, we persevere. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I hope we do that. I hope you do that. I hope I do that. God knows our hearts, doesn't He? We can fool one another. But let me ask you, are you rejoicing in that great hope? Are you standing in that grace of God right now so that you withstand the wiles of the devil. Exercise yourself to godliness. Persevere under the strong hand of God. Paul said that godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of this life, but the life to come. And that is to experience this very hope of glory that Paul is talking about. Yes, we're, we're warriors. Onward Christian Soldiers, We war daily, do we not? But we do not fight in our own strength. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. Putting on, Pastor Ryan's been preaching to us about putting on the whole armor of God. And he, as he said a few weeks ago, that's the perfection of Christ. Christ in all of His fullness. Who He is and what He's done for us. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And in this grace and in this power and in this peace and in this righteousness, we persevere day in and day out. We get stronger and we're ready to do battle because of Christ that's in us.
the children of Israel, when they were going into the Holy Land, God said to them that I have given to you every place that the sole of your foot shall tread. The land was a gift. It was given to the children of Israel, but they had to fight in order to obtain that gift. The gift of heaven is ours. The grace of God has been poured out upon us. But we have to wage the good warfare. The war is over, but we're not exempt from the daily battles. We have to fight and fight the good fight of faith. To wage a good warfare. Some of you there, older Christians, you've got the battle scars. I look at you, I see what you've gone through. I see what you've endured. You've persevered under the hand of God. You, you, you've been faithful to God by the grace of God in the midst of great tribulations. And you've done this day in and day out. And you know what happened to you? What's happening to you? You become a better person. And that's what Paul says here in our text in verse 4. He says that perseverance produces character. Character. Who you are as a man of God. Who you are as a woman of God. Your character is proven. The word there means a character that's approved. Or a character that is proven. You see, when we endure, when we persevere over a period of time, we get tougher, so to speak. We get, we get stronger. You remember that old uh, Rocky movie? I can't remember which one it was or who he fought when. I get all of, all of them confused. But you remember that the soundtrack of, of the Rocky movie where he's been, I think he's been beat, beaten up once, but, and he's coming back. He's coming in the back into the battle. And that song, Getting Stronger Now. Remember, remember that? <laughs> getting Stronger Now. You see, that's what happens to us as Christians, really. When we've endured trials and tribulations, God is working in our character. It's not that maybe we're getting stronger physically, but we're getting stronger uh, spiritually. We're growing more like Christ. He's... he's uh, He's taking us day in and day out, molding us and shaping us, forming our character, forging us in that crucible of tribulation and pain in order that He might perfect us. We've been predestined to be in accord with the very image of Christ and He's going to bring that about if you're His child. So He changes our character just like that soldier that's a a battle-worn, battle-hardened soldier. He's made strong. He's vigilant. He's wise. And we, when we walk with Christ, He proves our character and we become streetwise, so to speak, with the things of God. We're wiser in our faith. We're cognizant of the fact that fleshly lusts are going to come upon us. Things are going to happen to us that are going to war against our soul. But we learn to abstain. We learn to flee. We learn to fight the good fight of faith. We learn to keep the faith. We learn to depend upon the strength of God. And by enduring and by persevering, we become stronger Christians, don't we? Become stronger. It's just like when a when a bone is broken. After it's on the mend, it begins to calcify and it gets stronger than it was even before 
the break. We become strong. Our character is proven in the midst of trials. So tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and then character. There's our word again from the axis of our text that I've called it. Through these things, hope is gained more and more. We're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, verse 2, but as we go through tribulation, which produces perseverance and, and character, our hope is affirmed. A great hope. What kind of hope is this? Look at verse 5. This is a hope that does not disappoint. That's the kind of hope the Bible talks about. You know, we can say, well, I, I wish this happens like we hope this happens, or then we hope that happens. Wow, yesterday I was hoping that the Cardinals would beat the Cubs. Anybody else in here with me? <laughs> a, few, a few, you know. But guess what happened? I hope to no avail. Because those dastardly Cubs beat the Cards yesterday, five to three. But being the godly man that I am, I called Pastor Ryan and or sent him a text wishing him congratulations. The Cubs won. So we, that's the way life is. We can, we can hope, you know, but it's no more than a wish. But this biblical hope is a hope of surety, a hope of absolute fact. It's a hope that is approved. It is a hope that does not disappoint us. And we can know without any shadow of a doubt that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we have been justified by God. We have been declared righteous with Him. We have been declared that we are at peace with Him through His Son. And we can stand in this grace and we can have bold access into the throne of God because of what He has done, not because of what we have done. And therefore our hope is secured. So we walk by faith and we walk not by sight. And the Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, again, uh, speaks of the security of this hope. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, uh, the writer of the Hebrews says that we have this hope as an anchor of the soul. Anchor of the soul. What, what do you do with an anchor? You... you Throw your anchor overboard in order to secure your boat or your ship and it stands fast. That's what our hope is. That's what the sureness of our hope is. Our hope is an evidence. It's an anchor, uh, a picture of the, of the sureness and the validity of our hope, our souls. That anchor. Hope is the anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. It is by this grace in Christ that we have this hope, this sureness of hope that takes us, as I mentioned earlier, into the very presence of the Lord because Christ Himself entered into that most holy place and offered Himself up for us. And therefore, through Him, through His work, through His atonement, through His perfect substitution, through His sacrifice, we go with Him into the most holy place. We have this sureness, this sureness of hope. 
So we rejoice. Have I said that? Have I mentioned that a few times? That we can rejoice in the hope, the no-so hope of the glory of God. Yes, even, even in the midst of trial and suffering. Paul encouraged Timothy, share with me in the suffering of the gospel according to the power of God. He invited Timothy to share with him in the power of God, even in the midst of suffering. And then later also in 2 Timothy, he said, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He was not disappointed in his hope. I suffer these things, for I know, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. My faith. For by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, and the God who gave us this gift of faith will sustain our faith. He will make us strong. He will cause us to persevere. He will cause us to have a character like unto the Lord. That's the hope that we have in Christ. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's hope that is indeed springs eternal. Well, again, why do we know that we have this? Look at verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Another evidence for the reason why we should have this hope because we know that God loves us. He loves us, folks. He loves us with a love that can never be taken away. Just like His peace can never be taken away from us. He loses none of His own children. The Bible says concerning the disciples that those that were given to Him by the Father, He loved them to the very end. And so it is with all of us who know Christ. His love never ends. It's an unconditional, eternal love that He has, the Scripture says here, that He's lavished this love upon us. And it's evidenced by the fact that upon belief, we receive the Spirit of God into our lives. By the fact that the Spirit of God has been given to us, the Spirit of God dwells in us, and the Scripture says that this is a seal and a down payment of proof that we in fact are children of the living God. You know, Jesus, uh, when He was speaking with the Samaritan woman, Speaking about the issue of the water which comes forth out of the well, Jesus said, I could give unto you water that when you drink of it, you'll never have need for any water again. So like a good deal, the woman said, give me of this water. But Jesus said, the water that I shall give unto you will be a well of water that springs up unto eternal life. God has lavished His love upon us. He has given us in earnest the Spirit of God 
who dwells in us, an evidence of the love that He's lavished upon us. And through this grace, through what He's done for us, we can know, know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that our hope is secure. Never fade away. It's reserved for us in the heavenlies. So we can, in fact, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. John said the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. They in John's time saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ while He walked upon this earth. They saw Him with their own eyes and they heard with their own ears. And even now in Christ we have been partakers of the glory of God through faith, through eyes of faith. We've seen that glory, amen? We've seen the glory of Christ and what He's done for us. But someday the veil is going to be taken away completely. That's what Paul is talking about here. We will see Him as He is. And we shall be like Him. We shall be changed. And we rejoice in this hope of this eternal, manifested glory of God. Yes, even though now, for a little while, you undergo certain tribulations. Take heart. Trust God. Believe God. Right to the Hebrews said these final words. He said, I desire that each of you would show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Not being sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promise. That's us. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Endure a little bit of tribulation. Persevere in the grace of God. Endure hardships. Trust God. Keep the faith. Maintain this hope. This hope that is a gift of God. And we will inherit the promise. So, continue to rejoice in the hope, the sureness of hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Holy God, it is because of You that we are in Christ. Your Word, Your plan, Your call, Your provision, the gift of faith. Father, we worship You now in the stillness of this hour. And pray, Father, that we would walk in faith, that we would walk in hope to the end of our day. Lord, I also pray that if there's anyone in this room that is not right before You, they do not have peace before You, they have no hope. I pray that Your Spirit would work in their hearts as well. 
they would hear you, Lord, and respond to you and believe in your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, have the forgiveness of their sins so that they too can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We pray this in the holy name of Christ. Amen.